All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. As always, with me, I have badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. I am a sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. Today, we're going to be talking about overtraining. I know some of you guys think it's a myth. I'm here to tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> um, and that there is too much. There is too much of a good thing. So Alex, kick it off. What is the definition of overtraining? Well, for me, overtraining just is, is when your training load exceeds your ability to recover, right? So you're no longer recovering from the training and getting better. And then we have a, a prolonged period of, um, of negative consequences from training, right? Like acute negative consequences from training should happen. And then we should rebound and become better from them, AKA recover. Right. But when that, um, kind of dip, that negative consequence of training happens over a long, long period of time or happens too acutely, then we get into an overtraining type of environment. And I mean, and again, different symptoms and signs of this are, are just personal wellness. Like, are you getting sick more frequently? Are you feeling tired all the time? Um, and, and that plays an impact. Are you performing underperforming constantly at practice? Are you underperforming constantly in the weight room? We have objective measures for this stuff. Like, are your kidneys shutting down? (laughs) That's a big one. Um, that might be a little more on the acute side, but, um, Again, and it's hard to chronically be aware of these things because our society consciously pushes a narrative of, of work hard, endure through it, you know, embrace the grind type of type of mentality. But at, at some point, you need to call a spade a spade and say, I'm getting worse from this. I'm not getting better. Right. And it's one of those things like we, we talk about a lot. You can work at 70% every day, right? Yeah. You, you, you could work at 70%, but is it worth taking two weeks off or a week off, whatever it may be, having an entire reset and then working at 100% <laughs> for every day after that? Is the risk first reward there? And obviously that's going to be different whether you're in camp close to your fight versus out of camp. If you're in camp and overtraining, that's a separate problem that should have been addressed with the coaches. Um, but it's all depending on the time frame of when competition is. But you got to know that sometimes taking that two weeks off, and for the most part, taking that two weeks off is going to be extremely beneficial for your overall training load. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the reset is a good strategy as well. But I think we also need to be aware as practitioners and athletes too, that maybe like a total shutdown isn't necessary either, right? We need to adjust our our global training load and make a, a chronic change, not just let me take two weeks off, feel great, and then overtrain again. And then have right. to take two weeks off. Like that, that's just a, a <laughs> self-repeating cycle or, or a negative um, or excuse me, a positive feedback loop. But sometimes what we need to do is look at the global workload and say, where are we hitting too hard? And that can be as simple as like a lot of the strategy that, that I saw at the UFC that I, I've employed with a lot of my athletes is write down your weekly schedule, write down how many trainings you have, how hard each training is. And then that's, again, a system that we've created with building fighter is kind of our piggy bank system, but look at that sheet. If, if there's four days in a row where you're going nine out of 10 on practice, that might be too much. Or there's three, two a days in a row. Can we change that and have like maybe a day off in between or a light practice on a middle day? Um, but again, just get some type of feeling of that, that global workload and then scale it back or rearrange or just critically think about 
what that's doing to your body. Are you recovering from your training? Are you getting better? Or is this having too much of a negative effect where there's no super compensation on the backside? Well, and I think a fantastic product that is kind of kind of plug and play for this type of thing is Fight Camp Conditioning has their notebook that in their notebook, it has all of these different things laid out. So even if you're not using like the piggy bank system that we talked about, hit up fight camp conditioning, go to their website, look up their planner. And I think, I don't remember the price. I think it's like 20 bucks, 25 bucks for an entire, I think for an entire camp long of notebooking uh, that, that kind of is fail proof. <laughs> they have in there how many hours, zero to 10, how bad or how hard was every session? How hard was every session per week? They have it split up to day weeks and months. So it's, it's one of those things that it could be worth its weight in gold if you are one of those athletes that tends to overtrain. Yeah, I think that's that's a great way. We look at like RPE, how hard are you like interpreting each session as far as difficulty, how hard are you interpreting your week or your training block? Um, but Austin, I want you to get into a few other measures and, and ways that we can quantify this both from a, a subjective, like an RPE measurement, but also objective measurements and uh, like tools and, and training aids that you use or that we, anybody can use to quantify this overtraining to have some type of concrete number that says, all right, scale it back. So I know a lot of my guys use the aura ring. Uh, that is the ring that the UFC gives to every athlete on roster. Um, and that does a fantastic job of managing your stress load throughout the day, um, taking a combination of your HRV, your sleep score. And I think there's one other thing. It might be ANS, even though I don't know how you're getting ANS all the way out in the finger. Um, or I guess an accurate ANS. But according to the UFC, it was the most accurate fitness tracker that they had for a overall sleep score and recovery score. Then the other thing you can do is track your heart rate and you have objective measures based off of your, are you in the red for a shitload the day before? Are you in the red for the entire workout? Obviously, if you're, if you have a heart rate above 180 for, let's say 25 minutes during your workout, guess what? That was a hard workout a and, hard you should day, yeah. and you should probably relax. But if you're not wearing a heart strap, you don't know that you're like, oh yeah, I pushed it hard. But you don't actually have that physical proof to say, look, I worked really hard. I deserve to have an active recovery day or a rest day right after this and try to balance that out and balance your workload out. So the two that I really, really like just because they're easily accessible for my guys are the aura ring and the polar, uh, just a heart strap, polar heart strap, I think is 89, 99 or something like that on Amazon. And then the aura ring is 200 bucks. And then that, I think that comes with the lifetime subscription to their platform. Mm -hmm. uh, some other stuff cost effective. Uh, hold on. Sorry. I got a bug in my mouth. Um, I hate when bugs get in my mouth. I know it's the worst. It was a little nap. Uh, but so the other, another thing that's a lot more cost effective is going to be HRV for training. So that's going to treat your, or it's going to track your heart rate variability and then combine that with your subjective score. So what it does, is it has you fill out how you're feeling, how yesterday went, how you slept, all these different things. Then you put your finger, it's an app for your phone. You put your finger over the top of your camera. It lights up your finger, can track your heart rate. You do that at the same time every morning or night, whatever it may be. I would say morning, please, because that'll give you a more accurate <laughs> view mm -hmm. of your day. Mm -hmm. um, and then it'll give you a reading based off of, your previous inputs on, Hey, you should train this day. Hey, you shouldn't train this day. It, it basically goes off your average HRV. And are you in the green, red, or yellow? And from that, you can then establish all these different things based around your training for that micro day or that one day cycle. 
And that is only $5, I believe, on the uh, both the Apple and Android app store. So it's a very cost-effective way. It's not going to be as good um, or as accurate as these different trackers, but that's, like I said, it's five bucks. Get your app, put your finger on it. That's an easy way to have an objective measure to show that you're not overtrained or you are overtrained. You need to take a break. Nice. And I don't know, some, some of the ways that I've explained this to athletes before too, or um, anybody looking into getting into more of a, a monitoring mode with their training, and which I think is generally a good thing. The more information that we can pull from, the better. I don't think the more information that we uh, take action on, the better, but I think the more information that we have available, um, the better. There's a few categories in my mind that we look at. We look at like that polar strap that measures your heart rate and gives you a, a strict output based measurement. I look at that almost like as a mechanical cost, right? That's mm-hmm. how physically, how much your heart is working and beating. Um, and then there's certain other, I mean, heart rate monitors and things um, that give you that mechanical stress. Um, I know in cycling, they quantify it a lot by wattage on the bike. And like, you can do that as well, if that's bulk of your conditioning. Um, so that mechanical cost gives you a good insight into how much work your body is actually doing, but it also kind of misses the window on the central nervous system cost, because as, as we know, your body doesn't work mechanically or, or nervously, everything's together all the time and you have stress responses. And that's where the, the more high tech, the aura ring, the omega wave, the whoop things that, that measure the sleep, measure your, um, heart rate variability, they get into measuring your central nervous system fatigue and stress. And that's where we can kind of combine and get to an upper echelon that comes with a price tag, but that also gives you a better indication of how you're recovering. Um, but I also don't want to a big misnomer for me that I, I've talked to people about is just because like Austin was said, just because something tracks your HRV doesn't mean it's super accurate. doesn't mean it's the best yep. thing. So it's not like, okay, I know I need this HRV rather than just the mechanical heart rate the HRV app or one that you find that's just out of nowhere might not be as high quality or accurate and you might actually get faulty information from it. So it's worth doing your research and finding out reputable and accurate um, information and products. Um, I kind of went through that personally as I I was looking into getting a smartwatch and um, I, I did some research and I Wanted a fairly simple one, but gave me good readouts. And I got the Garmin Instinct, which has worked out really well for me. And it gives me my heart rate and um, and tracks sleep and all this. And then I come across studies and look at the sleep tracker only to find out that Garmin is one of the worst sleep tracking devices <laughs> that's on the market. So I'm like, yeah. great, all this. And again, accuracy versus just having some type of awareness is good, but it's not actually giving me great deep sleep versus REM versus light sleep numbers because it's less accurate. Right. And well, and something I look at in one of whatever it's, whether it's a sleep tracker, whether it's a, a watch, whether it's a app that you're going to use is consistency versus accuracy. Obviously you want both, but if I had to choose one over the other, nine times out of 10, I'm going to pick consistency over accuracy so that we can track your trends. Because I care a lot more what's happening with you than I do if that says uh, in their own little words. I know Polar uses like good to go or something along those lines or green, yellow, red. I care a lot more that it can accurately tell me what's going on with your body and I can make the distinction as the coach or as a healthcare practitioner or you as an athlete than that this thing can 
one day be really, really good and tell you, oh man, you're in the green, good to go. But then the next day out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, you're in the red and you didn't have that hard of a day. So it's not very, it's not very consistent with what's going on or accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that consistency is, is again, more valuable because then you get to pull, even if it's an inaccurate data pool. Um, and this is what we do with like, um, we use jump mats for a long time, right? Jump mats in the weight room to measure vertical jump. Um, and you can also do that as a readiness, um, as kind of a, a low cost readiness measurement, but that's besides the point. But the jump mat itself is very <laughs> bad at giving you an actual height on the vertical yep. jump, right? Yep. Like if it says you jumped 20 inches, you may actually have jumped 24 inches, or you may actually have jumped 14 inches. Like the accuracy is not there, but every day it gives you the same type of measurement. So even if I jump 20 inches day one, day two, I'm going to jump somewhere around 20 inches if I'm being consistent, right? So it gives you a, a consistently good number, which is again, important if we're tracking redness every day and also important if we're comparing and contrasting, it's not, it would be very bad practice of me as a, a strength and conditioning coach to use the jump mat on the pretest and see those horribly accurate numbers and then use like a vertex for our actual test out day like that. That's comparing apples to oranges, but um, the consistency factor is more important for me because then you get a a good picture of what your training load looks like. And then you can make decisions on where to go based off of that. So, well, and that, that leads into another thing that we could use for readiness is going to be velocity based training as well. I know your buddy Tim over at Robust Physical Prep has a whole bunch of resources on VBT and readiness. Um, yeah. But this is something as a strength coach, if if you're working with combat sports athletes, bro or or broette, <laughs> dudette, you you need to get a velocity based training equipment. It's there's they're so low cost nowadays. I actually just purchased my own. Um, and what, uh, it's one what of those, brand did you go? What did you get? I went Rep One. Okay. Yeah. You were um, talking about that one for a long time Yeah, there. It's a linear transducer. This mm-hmm. is besides the points, linear transducer versus like, um, uh, what's the one that you strap onto the push you strap onto yeah. the bar and it's GPS. I like the linear transducer better. Yeah. Um, but so it's one of those things. If you're working with a speed strength athlete, guess what? You gotta need to, you kind of need to know the speed. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so it's, it's a no brainer, but then you can also use it it's, it's useful for tracking that, but it's also useful for tracking readiness too. If you have them come in and trap bar deadlift might be your, your thing. Mm-hmm. And one day they're for, for the most part, they're able to hit trap bar deadlift at one meter per second, whatever it may, just random number. Mm-hmm. And then let's say three weeks later with the exact same weight, they're only hitting 0.7 meters per second repetitively over and over again, they can't get to that one. Well, guess what? They're not prepared for the workout that is going to be occurring. (laughs) And you as a coach should adapt. Exactly. So it's one of those things like it's a cool way to track readiness. And then on top of that, the athlete doesn't even need to know you can, you can progress it from there. You don't have to even have to have that weird conversation of, Hey, you woke up in the red. I know you said you feel good, but we're not going to push you have the little thing right there. You can see the meters per second. If they're beneath the threshold for what would be considered normal, you can make that an adaptation on the fly. And the athlete never has to think that they had a bad, had a bad practice. So you completely almost like do the runaround with the mental side yeah. of waking up in the red, which I know a lot of my fighters have a problem with almost Dude. all of my fighters do. <laughs> yeah. And that's a super hard predicament to be in because I mean, from the time you 
put your wrestling shoes on as a six-year-old everybody says you know grind work harder keep going like you know pain isn't real type of thing but like when you get to this level in the game or when you get to an actual healthcare standpoint like being aware and adapting the plan and, and not working so hard some days is the best thing i mean then like even then i feel a little bit inside of me like conflicted saying not working hard is a good thing but it absolutely is in some contexts and, and places we need to be able to kind of swallow the ego or go against the grain and say, you know, a day off is what's necessary here. And I think we, I mean, I think the, the MMA based community, everybody has a hard time accepting that that's not a pill that anybody wants to swallow and say, man, I need to take it easy today. But I think, yeah. but I think one place we can go with this too, is to talk about like, how do we actually know, or how do we actually assess that? Like, this is a good day to take off versus just going off of feel or never taking a day off. How do we, how should we feel good about justifying that also? Well, my, my first thing is I, I truly believe, I think all athletes should have a day in their work week that they're taking off Mm -hmm. normal professional athlete there. They have to work out. (laughs) We'll say five to six times a week, five to six days a week. For the most part, you should be taking a rest, a, full rest day. And when I say full rest, active recovery is what I mean in the middle of your week to split up your training week. That's what's going to allow you to stay fresh. So whether that be Wednesday or Thursday, shit, if you want, if you're doing like a 10 day week, if you want, I know some people have like weird camp structures, you can take off like a week, a day four and day eight. Um, but you need to have planned rest in your little micro cycle that you call your week, whether it's one week or whether it's 10 days. Um, on top of that, you also have your objective measures. I know like if a funny story that was going around our gym, one of our guys, a UFC guy that has the aura ring, he was so overtrained. He woke up at 39 out of a hundred <laughs> and he stayed like that for a couple of days. And he thought it was, and he was overtrained. Don't get me wrong, but he also, it also turned out he ended up having COVID, which that's a cool, like that's a, that's a cool application of a readiness yeah, tracker absolutely. that it was able to check and track that. Oh, his body's fighting something <laughs> off. Yeah. And even though he felt like he felt okay and he woke up at 39 and it literally, it put him into hibernation mode is what it called it. He's like, it's not going to track any activity. It said, do not do any activity. Your body's, your body's got something going on on the inside. So that's, that's a, that's a cool thing that you can implement. And that just shows how much, how, how little awareness we have about this. Like as, as human, like as athletes or human beings, like it shows how numb we are to, how we actually feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I personally, as far as, and this, this is anecdotal, this is not, I guess, quote unquote science backed, but I think hey, one of the anecdotes can be science, man. I, I, I spent a whole master's program learning about the social sciences, whatever you say, whatever you say, you come through <laughs> chiropractic and people talk about just lighten up COC one and it cures deafness. I don't trust anecdotes. Um, but <laughs> So, uh, but I, I truly, I think subjective scores, if, if you keep it something we don't talk about, and I think you should keep a fucking journal. If you're an athlete of your thoughts, when you wake up in the morning, it literally takes 10 minutes. It's one of the best things you can do to get your thoughts out if you're an athlete. So that's one way that you can write down for yourself and you can look back at your week. Say you do this for two weeks straight. And then one day you write down, you just in there, you're actually being honest with yourself. And you're like, I don't really feel good. But guess what? That's probably the day you should take off. 
Yeah. Or you look back and you have six or seven days in a row where you say, man, I feel suboptimal today, or I don't want to get out of bed. Like you have six or seven days in a row. That's telling you something too. Mm-hmm. No. So I, again, it's, it goes against our instinct to say, I need to take today off. But I think some of the objective scores using the, the training aids or the, the, technology that we've talked about help you recognize that and but if you listen to them you have to listen to them right um right. that's one of the hardest things but also listen to your own body man and and what you said i'm super super big fan of keeping a journal both to accurately and honestly reflect on your training schedule on how you're feeling uh but also to keep track of your mental health man that, that's been one of the biggest things that's helped me throughout covid and throughout whatever the past few months or whatever is keeping a journal and writing down your inside thoughts. Because for me, I know that if I don't write them down, I'm probably not going to tell anybody to, about them just because I don't, I don't like talking about myself. I don't like talking to people about either my problems or my mental struggles, but writing them down seems to help because then I get it out and it doesn't just keep festering inside of me, but that helps on a mental health scale too, because as much as we talk about wellness and we talk about physical exertion and heart rate variability and, and, and things like this, like, your emotional, mental, and spiritual health factor into all this too. Like we've talked about the holistic care and also, um, you know, knowing your athletes, but if you're stressed out day in and day out and it's piled on top of heavy ass strength training and heavy ass MMA grappling and and things like this, like that's going to do nothing but negatively impact that. Right. So we have to take Mm -hmm. time to account for and think about the mental stress, the mental fatigue, the emotional stress. and, And there's a lot of things that go on in our lives. So Ignoring those things is, I think, a flaw in a lot of programs. I mean, I think good coaches always address who the athlete is and, and talk about those type of life stresses. Um, but I think a lot of times it gets overlooked. So journaling and then deep breathing are kind of my two go-tos in that type of realm. Well, and this is directed at the coaches, but I guess the athletes as well. You need to make an environment that athletes are okay telling you that they are not feeling good that day. You cannot make an environment that athletes feel like they need to show uh, show up every day, even if it's to their detriment, because that's a huge problem in college wrestling, high school wrestling, professional MMA teams. I've <laughs> I've been around all three, and it's a massive, massive problem with the sports in general. Because I know I'm I wasn't at the only places in the entire world that that's happening. Where basic, basically all of the stages I've been at, people feel uncomfortable telling coaches that they need a day off. Or if they have a problem with their own body that they, they don't feel comfortable saying, hey, I feel kind of fatigued today. And that's, that's what I love a lot about Fight Ready um, is some of the athletes feel that way. But some that trust the coaching staff, like they're, they're fine texting Santino and saying, hey, I don't feel great today. I need to take this day off. And Santino's really good about saying Hey, what'd you wake up at? Cause most of our athletes, we try to get most of our athletes with objective measures as well. Hey, what'd you wake up at or your last couple of days? Um, we recommend this and it's always a multi-person effort. It's not just one person saying, I recommend this. It's the group text gets sent out. We're like, Oh, what can you do as far as active recovery goes? Or as far as taking one to two days off and doing, and sometimes it's mental. Like Alex said, sometimes it's, Hey, I'm not in a good headspace. I had a traumatic accident happen. That happened to one of our guys. He had a traumatic instance in his life. He needed to take a week off. He went He went back home for a week. He went out of the country, I think, for four days after that. And then he came back and that's what he needed to kind of calm down all of the stressors in his life. 
And none of that would have happened if this person didn't feel comfortable talking to our coaches and just grinded through it. Cause you know, that's what we do as combat athletes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's all too common of a story, but no, I, I think that's, that's the bigger point as far as talking about recovery and, and knowing your mental health. Uh, I think paying attention and, and bringing some awareness to it is, is huge on there. Um, but similar to your story, Austin, like we all, we all want to push through and grind. And I think back to an anecdote kind of in my high school days. So I was a sophomore and I got knocked out at sectionals. So the tournament before state, right. I, I got fourth and I didn't qualify. And then the next week, you know, your whole team still comes and helps prepare the state qualifiers. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was done cutting weight and I kind of, I let myself go and I got a sinus infection or, or some type of sickness hit me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling like absolute crap the whole day. And, but like I was holding on, I was like, I got to go to practice to help the state qualifiers. I have to, I have to be practice still, blah, blah, blah. And like, that just shows the adherence, like, dude, you're sick. Don't go to practice. Like the, that's right. the logical things to do, but there's such an atmosphere of grind and work hard through it in combat sports and wrestling that it's hard to, it's hard to have that conversation. Like coach, I, I really don't feel good. I can't come like, well, dude. And that's one of the best things I love about combat sports is that you're, it's a brotherhood. Yeah. You weren't, do, you were doing it to, I mean, yes, of course you were doing it to appease your coaches, but you're also, if correct me if I'm wrong, you're doing it because those guys, they're your teammates, they're your yeah, brothers they're, and you wanted to help them the best you year, could. Yeah. Absolutely. But what I see and what I run into a lot is that you want to do that to the detriment of your own success. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is a problem for you as an, not, not you in general, but the listener as an individual, yeah. if that's happening for you, you can't let. <laughs> you wanting to be a good teammate get in the way of your personal goals in an individual sport. Mm -hmm. And I see it time and time again, those guys that, that everybody talks about their practice room guys, the practice room heroes, they'll, they'll do 97, they'll do seven cage rounds in a row. If it helps out their teammates that obviously nobody does seven cage rounds in a row, but they'll, they'll do three or four cage rounds when they are not in camp just because it's to the benefit of their teammates. And then guess what? They end up having to, they end up, getting clipped with an elbow guy wasn't wearing the elbow pad slid down. Boom. They have a cut over their eye. Their personal training is then out two to three weeks outside of their camp when they should be working on all their deficits and focusing on the things that they really want to grow as a fighter with and that, or as an athlete. And that's, that's something that cannot happen. If you want to be the top of the top, if you want to be the cream of the crop, which is who we're talking to, that's our goal. Everybody that listens to this podcast. I hope that's your goal. Whatever goal you have, you want to be the best at that thing. You can't let you being a good teammate get in the way of that. Yeah. And I think that's the the selfishness that's inherent in an in a individual sport or in taking care of yourself. I think there's a time and place for that. And I mean, there's a selfishness also in taking care of yourself and taking care of your mental health. I think that that gets thrown under the bus too, just like we've been talking about. Like a lot of the times as human beings, we make the decision that it's more important that other people feel good rather than I feel good. And like, yeah. and that's, that's a, a compliment to empathy and a compliment to people's compassion, but it's also really toxic if we let it go way too far, right? If we let it go into, I need to, you know, I need to be at the gym helping people work out from 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. every night which that's somewhere i've been in my life but yeah. it's not worth it if i both as me as a coach it's not worth it if i'm delivering them a 60 percent effort as a coach because i'm there nonstop. it's not worth it if i total a car because i fall asleep on the way home 
right? That's yeah. not, that is a lack of awareness in myself. And that's not beneficial. If you're a training partner and you're doing the same thing where you're in every day, grinding hard to help everybody else. And then you're overtraining yourself. Like there has to be an awareness piece of that. And I think that's where a good coach and, and some of these measurements and um, understandings of overtraining play a factor and play a role. Well, dude, I like, I like why you talk about it because this is something that can be applied to every single person that listens to this podcast. You don't have to be a professional athlete to be overtrained or overworked because it's not just overtraining, even though it's the title of the podcast, it's overwork in general, because if you start to, I I know, like you said, I was just there where I have the, like, I'm a, it sounds bad to say, but I say yes to everything, or at Mm -hmm. least I try to, because that's what gets me my opportunities in life. I get a lot of cool opportunities that I wouldn't have had if I said no. But because of that, I end up overworking. I work myself. I I probably work myself about 80 hours a week, stupidly. (laughs) And sometimes it decreases my, it it decreases the passion that I have for my job. And I note, and and that starts to, that starts to weigh on me because then I start saying stuff like, well, like if this is the worst thing that happens to me, at least I'm working with, if this is the worst thing about my job, like then I, I have a pretty cool job. Like the worst thing about yeah. my job is working too long of hours. Man, I got a pretty cool job, but I don't sometimes personally, I don't realize how it takes away from my quality as a healthcare practitioner, strength coach, wrestling coach. Yeah. And it needs to be one of those things. Like, even though you're not an athlete anymore, this is still a problem that could, that could be occurring with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, I love the embrace the grind mentality, but if it comes at the detriment of me doing my job, then you need to have an honest conversation with yourself. And I, I have recently where like, Hey, even though you want to be there for these, all of these athletes being a hundred percent for 40 hours is a lot better than being 60% for 80 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think, I think there's a parallel there too. We talk about training methods a lot as well. We've hit on work capacity a million times when we talk about our like physiological or anatomical uh, based training, like we talk about work capacity as far as optimal load. And when we get to a, a time when we're fatigued and then we start doing shit reps and then those shit reps become the habit and then those shit reps get us hurt or give us suboptimal technique. I think the same thing happens in a global perspective with our training or with our work life where we reach the end of our work capacity and then we start putting together shit sessions or we start putting together shit attitudes and then that just compiles and that becomes the habit that becomes the new norm. And then we're on a downward trajectory, which again, title episode is overtraining. Right. So we need to find that optimal capacity. And again, great thing is a trainable quality, right? We can work on this work capacity and we can up it to, if I want to prioritize my life and make 80 hours of hundred percent effort in strength and conditioning, my number one goal, I could do that. Right. I don't want to do that. I want to have a life outside a family <laughs> life, a social life and, and things like that. So I train this work capacity maybe to, for myself to be able to put 35 or 30 hours on the floor, hundred percent in, and then have 10 hours or whatever of planning. But then I'm also hundred percent at my social life, hundred percent at my family life, hundred percent, everything else, because I've adequately scaled and adequately trained my quote unquote work capacity in a life and wellness sense. Right. So that's, that's the bare bones of having a understanding and having a awareness of your overtraining and over overtrainedness. That being said, and I know I'm going long here, sorry, Austin, but that being said, I think there's also, um, 
I lost my train of thought when I said that. That's good. Um, you're okay. Good. I have a point. So okay, this is this is not everything you're saying. This is not to say that hard work doesn't have to occur yeah, because that absolutely. is a lot of people's argument. Like I've talked about on the podcast before, I feel like right now so many people are focused on that work life balance that they're they aren't putting in the hard work it takes to be special. Yeah. <laughs> Like in order to be special, in order to be the best in the world at what you do, in order to do these different things, that comes with a sacrifice. Yep. So you you cannot negate that. There there's no free lunches, just like in every economic policy. Mm-hmm. But there is a smarter way to do things, and that's what we're trying to get at. It's almost like we're like it's like Goldilocks. It's too hot, too cold. Trying to find right in the middle where that sweet spot is for you, for you to accomplish your goals and be the best at what you do. But something I need I needed to get out there is like you still need to do hard work. All of everything we're saying isn't an excuse to be a lazy piece of shit. Oh, I, I totally agree, and I, that was some that was a point I wanted to make earlier on is like. The symptoms of overtraining, as we, we've talked about them, like fatigue, um, like detraining, getting worse, um, and all these things, those are the same fucking symptoms as undertraining, right? Yep. If you're not training enough, you're also getting work. If you're not training enough, you're probably still fatigued. Your diet's shit, blah, blah, blah. Like not putting in the work is a is a detraining effect as well. So again, be conscious, be aware of where your your capacity is, and then, but also like if you're not revving the engine and maximizing it and looking for different ways to maximize it, then you're just not fulfilling your job at, at being the best you can or trying to get to your goals. So, right. So. And that well, and that's, that's the difference between overreaching and overtraining, right? It's yeah. the same thing, whether it's, whether it's schoolwork, whether it's like training, whether it's skill work, whether it's being a professional, you still need to functionally overreach the yeah. best way for you to grow as an individual is to get uncomfortable. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you should be unnecessarily uncomfortable for prolonged periods of time, because that's not how we stimulate growth. That's how we start getting that overtraining period and getting overtraining effect. And we start that downslope instead of that functional overreaching upslope, which is going to help us grow. No. And thank God you brought that up. That was the point that I was about to touch on is like, and, and kind of brought it up, like hard work has to be a part of the equation still has to be a piece, probably the, the main piece, but um, when we get into overreaching, you have to understand there's a time and place and there's a context to feel like shit in the morning, right? Or to feel these overtraining system or symptoms. And hopefully, again, your coach gives you awareness of that. You, you have a conversation. You say these next two weeks, you're overreaching. You're going to feel like shit in the morning, but I need you to keep coming training because there's light at the end of the tunnel and there's a break coming or there's better results coming in a month, even though these two weeks are going to suck. So, um Again, context, time and place, understanding and awareness, I think, um, wrap up overtraining. And I think some of the, the causes of overtraining are just, you know, either ignorance or um, that ego that we have to just keep working, keep working, keep working. I just, it's all ego. <laughs> Dude, yeah. At the end of the day, it's, uh, and yes, it's ignorance, but like I've heard, I've heard our athletes that swing through here, the really big names. And they're like, oh, overtraining is not a thing. And I'm like, well, I got a lot of research studies to show you wrong, Mr. Yeah. Big Shot. Like yeah. you're, you're an idiot, but it, it's not that they're ignorant to it. It's that they won't accept the research because what they've done in the past has worked and they're afraid of change. 
Right. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. And I think, I think on a individual scale as well, when, when you're working with one-on-one with an athlete, I think there's a, an understanding that needs to be cultivated too. Like if an athlete feels like they're not working hard enough or feels like your workouts aren't like, aren't the grind to death, kill you type of workouts, they say, I'm not, I don't think I'm getting better from this. Cause it's not hard. I think there needs to be a conversation understanding. It's like, it's not hard because you're not emphasizing the right points. The, the point of this workout is not to get you tired. The point of this workout is to get you better. So let's focus in on every single detail that you're doing and let's do that right. And then by the end of the workout, you're going to be mentally fatigued. You're going to be physically fatigued. And we're going to actually work on the right work capacity and do everything as optimally as we can rather than just do everything. Yeah. No. And that's, that's something that one of the physical therapists I work with, uh, he says a lot is he's like, look, my five pound bicep curl is going to be a lot harder than your 40 pound bicep curl. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm fucking doing it right. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same thing with our functional capacity and everything we're talking about. You need to know the context. The context is the biggest clue. Yeah. If you know what you're doing, then that's what matters. Not, Hey, I'm just going to grind out my weight session. There needs to be a purpose. And if right. there's not a purpose, you're messing up. Dude. Yeah. And I don't know. I see that everywhere. I see, I see whole markets of personal training and private strength and conditioning places just exploiting like this is a place to work harder this is a place that you can give more this is a place that's going to set you apart because we work harder like like time and place like but is that right for you um and i think one of the the markets that we're about to step into and do things differently is like the coach education and the 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 education or education market. I think that market is feasted off of this mentality is like, as a coach, you need to constantly be getting better. You need to take this weekend certification. You need to do this thing better. Like, and that's the only, the, the driving force in that market where we want to do different. We want to put perspective and context into it versus just keep getting better. Because as the coach, again, you can overtrain and work yourself to death getting every weekend certification and getting better, like, yes, more knowledge, but like, is that actually influenced your practice? Is that helping or is that adding to your burnout? Well, and uh, I look at every continuing education course I take, like adding something to my toolbox. I don't need a fucking tool that I use. Like, I don't need the tool that sits in the bottom of the toolbox that never gets used. (laughs) I need something that is going to benefit me and it's going to impact my day-to-day life. I need a fucking hammer. I need a screwdriver. I don't, I don't need that weirdly shaped, like the one eighth Allen wrench that sits in the bottom of the toolbox that nobody ever uses, except for like, if you destroy your eyeglasses. Right. And then you have a specialist for that. Like, and then then we can refer to that. Like that, that's not, that's not gotta be my one-stop shop. And I I think of it similar to like what you're talking about. Like if I'm a good strength and conditioning coach, I'm going to carry my toolbox into the session and apply the tools that I know how to apply. I'm not going to drive a 18 wheeler into every session that I have. Right. Because there's no way in hell I'm going to use everything in the 18 wheeler. Like, well, I'm not going to waste the, my thing is I'm not going to waste the mental resources to go after that tool. I'm going to use once when I can refer somebody there. It's the same reason why I have an accountant. It's literally the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But dude, I think, I think that's overtraining. The biggest points of this is journal. If you're not journaling already, please get an objective measure. Whether that be a VBT, whether that be a heart rate monitor, everybody should have a heart rate monitor. Get the fuck out of here. If you don't yet, you're behind the curve. Yeah. Uh, whether that be an aura ring, whatever they may be, get an objective measure. And then don't be afraid to tell your coach you need a day off. And coaches, you got to make an environment that is fostering that, is fostering yeah. that coach's relationship where athletes are okay saying they need a day off. Yep. yep. I totally agree. I think uh, 
we had a lot there and I think we've covered, I'm really glad that we covered the physical aspect, but also the mental and, and um, kind of life stress aspect, because I think that plays a, a much larger role than we give it credit for, even though that's not what we're specialist in. And that's not, you know, quote unquote, our domain, we're not mental health professionals. But um, again, I think that deserves to stay and that needs very well to be looked after. Fuck yeah. So as always, this is Building a Fighter. Please like, share, subscribe, do all the things that allow us to become friends with your friends. Um, If you need to contact us, please send us uh, an email or a message. All of our contact information is going to be in the show notes. Be on the lookout. We're actually in the final stages of building our website. That's going to house all of our different, I guess what you'd say, products as well as content. So we'll be getting out some free PDFs as well as some content and some actual pay for training programs and courses for you guys moving forward. Um, As always, it's Building a Fighter, Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Reuben. And we are out. Out.